0: Welcome back to the Wealth Actually Podcast, the show that features artists, entrepreneurs, experts, and commentators that will give you the right knowledge, planning, and guidance so you can preserve your assets and enjoy your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at WealthActually.com. This podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes. It is neither investment, legal, nor tax advice and does not represent the opinions of the employers of the host or guest. And now,
1: here's your host, Fraser Rice. Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast. I'm Fraser Rice. The Corporate Transparency Act is a month away from going live, and the wealth management industry has precious little to say about it. It affects at least 32 million businesses, according to FinCEN. States like New York may enact laws to mirror the disclosure requirements at the state level. And noncompliance is expensive and could potentially lead to jail. How to manage these reporting responsibilities is becoming a big issue in the wealth space. I covered the general parameters in June with attorney Stephen Liss. Today, we're going to speak with friend of the podcast, John Williams. He's the president of the Williams Law Firm in Delaware, and of Inc. Now, a corporate formation firm. We're going to talk about taking on this responsibility as an advisor, and what businesses big and small might expect in 2024 and beyond. Welcome aboard, John.
2: Hello, Frase. How are you doing?
1: I am doing great. It's nice to have a friend of the show on. You are a one of the small part of the club of uh, people who've been on more than once, which is terrific. You were probably number five way back in the Wayback Machine when we first started doing these things. Uh, so it's great to have you on.
2: Well, thank you, Fraser. I've really been impressed with all these podcasts you put together on a variety of topics, all tying into your expertise. And I'm glad we can lend some assistance in this area of corporate transparency.
1: We'll get to the Corporate Transparency Act in just a second. It's, in my opinion, such an important component of wealth management going forward that uh, I had an attorney, Stephen Lisson, back in June when I started looking at this and saying, gosh, you know, this thing has teeth, this thing has administrative burden, this thing for lots of the good reasons that are put in place to sort of ferret out money laundering, et cetera. It's a real thing. And you both are at the law firm end of it, thinking about it, and from an entity management company perspective, thinking about it. With that in mind, the Corporate Transparency Act, maybe a quick little summary of the way you're looking at it, maybe what's involved.
2: Thanks, Frege. I was talking with a member of our federal government, asking about what he thought of the Corporate Transparency Act and had to explain it to him like I do everyone else, because 90% of the lawyers and accountants and other people had accountants that you've never heard of before when I got done explaining, he said, well, that's a war on small business. And it's also been described as the largest regulation of small business in U.S. history. Typically, entities are formed at the state level, and the federal government largely stays out of it, especially with entrepreneurs and small business owners, and and even people that hold properties that are just vacation homes or whatever it happens to be. And this is something which is radically new, which really wouldn't be so intimidating if the penalties weren't so severe. But it's basically a list of owners of businesses and ongoing obligation to keep us updated. And it's largely to try to help the government fight financial crimes. But unfortunately, the small business community and the legal community and a lot of advisors really just aren't ready. And at this moment, we only have two months to go. So it's like I said, it's when we get into the nuts and bolts of it during this seminar, during this podcast. You know, we're going to hopefully have people go away feeling a little more comfortable about it. But the fact is, there's just not enough education out there at the moment, given 30 million businesses are going to have to comply with this. And if you look at that over the span of the whole year, averaging out 365 days and 24 hours a day, that's 3,500 filings per hour throughout the entire year for the country.
1: That sounds daunting just from the servers it's going to tax in order to get those through and into the system. So for the people in the small business community, the people who have LLCs and corporations, et cetera, for the very good reasons of asset protection, for organization, for state planning purposes, things like that, what is involved with complying with the Corporate Transparency Act?
2: At the moment, we don't know exactly because FinCEN still hasn't released the final forms that are required. I've been talking to representatives of FinCEN at different conferences. They have released some small business entity guidance, and there's a number of regulations they've put out there. But essentially what it requires is all existing businesses starting January 1st of 2024, between that point in time and December 31st of 2024 file a list of what's called the beneficial owners of their entity, which is called a reporting company. Beneficial owners is 25% or more individuals going up to the ultimate beneficial owners. So not like a stack of entities or a stack of entities owned by trust, but you have to go up to the human beings who are behind these and own them. And part of the confusing part of the act, which we're going to get into a little bit, is the control parties who's basically calling the shots, moving the levers. And they also want to know who those people are, the FINCEN, Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. But there's going to be a filing you can do online through their system, which is a PDF filing, including copies of driver's licenses for beneficial owners. Or you can do it through uh, just filling out a web form or the larger service providers. We're going to be able to help people with uh, an API, XML, computers talking to computers, getting these things filed.
1: That sort of covers who we're talking about. And this is you know basically anything that has a state... Reported entity. There's lots of exemptions for that, of course. But what exactly is being reported? Identifying information, what form does that take?
2: So, the reporting company, which is the entity, that you have to report the jurisdiction it's formed in, you have to report the tax ID number for the company, US address. Some of these businesses don't even have a US address. And there's not too much more that's required from the actual entity. The rest of the information is required of the beneficial owners of the company. And in that case, they would need to list their residential address, where they put their head every night, their birth date, the full name without errors. So you can't put Bob when the name is Robert. You can't leave off the middle name. Photo ID, which is generally a driver's license. It could also be a passport. There are a few for international people, some other but basically if you're international it's a passport. If you're under 18, then the parent or guardian gets listed. So that's sort of the information that's required for the individuals who are beneficial owners, which we'll get into a little bit later. For newly formed companies, they also ask for what they call company applicants. That really only applies to companies that were formed after January 1st, 2024. Fortunately, they're not making us go back and look for every single incorporator, person that was involved in the company formation however many years ago. So that was a bit of a relief when that was announced. Generally, all the beneficial owners, the control parties, and then the reporting company.
1: What's the timing for that? You have next year, obviously, is for things that were in existence, they all have to report. What's involved with the timing on that? And what happens if details change?
2: Good point. So for the existing companies before January 1st, 2024, they have any time during the year to comply. So maybe January 1st wouldn't be advisable because systems are just getting started some point during the year, maybe the middle of the year, they should strongly consider filing at that point. Don't wait till the end because the servers are probably going to get jammed up at the end. And then they have what ha- an ongoing obligation to correct information. So if they find out that something was wrong in their initial filing, whether it's innocent or whatever, they have an additional... So normally they have 30 days to file a report. And then, well, let's go... I don't want to sort of jump into the time machine here, but if it's 2025 and uh, you're filing, you have basically 30 days to file from when you have the information. And then there's an additional 60 days if you find out the information's in error. So essentially, you have a kind of a 90-day safe harbor if you have to correct something. But yeah, even just minor errors could be considered very significant consequence of the financial and criminal penalties. Otherwise, you just need to update the information. That's really critical is to keep track of the beneficial owners of your company. It says people change, you need to update it within 30 days.
1: In these penalties, this is not just a slap on the wrist. There are fangs associated with the the bite of this legislation, if you get it wrong.
2: This is really something intimidating. I mean, as soon as you go to day 31, if you had 30 days to comply, that's $500 a day and financial penalties, up to $10,000 per violation. And it can be up to two years in jail. And it's not just the person who's filing. It could be all the control parties. So it could be every vice president of the company is, is basically they're all being indicted just because there's some may messed up their birthday. Talking to FinCEN, I was worried they would sort of treat this like a red light camera where you just get this thing in the mail. But apparently, there's going to be more of a prosecutorial process to the extent that they're kind of anticipating. They haven't said so much, but there's going to be a lot of non-compliant or people that are trying to comply in good faith, but making mistakes. And it's possible they could be prosecuted, but... There's just going to be so many. I think it looks like they're really trying to go after the bad actors, but that's certainly not a reason to uh, sit on your hands. So
1: the question in my mind comes up, who is ultimately responsible for filing these things? And the answer to that, I think, really dictates a lot of decisions that are made either by advisors or clients or et cetera.
2: It's interesting because although the burden is on the reporting company, the individuals who are responsible is essentially anyone that controls the company or owns at least 25% of the company. So it really falls on what could be a lot of people. And so each one of those people would be concerned about who they're delegating this responsibility to and making sure it's getting done so they're not under fire. And typically, people aren't just involved in one company. These companies have children, they have subsidiaries, they have brothers and sisters, they have other entities that are similarly owned for different purposes or they just have other organizations are involved with and so it's not unusual for someone to have 5 6 10 companies that they have to kind of keep track of it's one more thing to keep track of
1: and then add on to that if a law firm was responsible for setting up the entity and then a paralegal was sort of responsible for uploading the file and that person was sick for a month or something like that and at scale you not only have one client, but you have dozens of clients with dozens of entities and so on. And that could be a problem too. Is that something FinCEN understands or is sympathetic to? Or is that something where they say, you know, you guys will figure it out and we'll be interested to see
2: how you do it? I would generally say sympathy is not FinCEN's strong suit, but anyone that's doing business formations next year, they're going to have a duty to file within 30 days a list of beneficial owners, the reporting company, plus the company applicants, which is we call the first mile and the last mile. So whoever submits the order, maybe it's the client, whoever puts the request in for the company, and the last mile is whoever actually delivers it to the Secretary of State. They don't really want to know who the bike courier is, if someone's dropping it in the mailbox or the mailman, but they want to know sort of the paralegal whoever submits it to the Secretary of State, kind of hits that last key on the keyboard to say send. So those names will have to get reported along with... It's a commercial agent, like a a law firm or a service company. The last mile, they can report a business address. Most agents are probably going to have the staff obtain FinCEN ID numbers. So you don't actually have to get a copy of the driver's license of everyone that works for you and send it to every one of your clients that you form a business with next year. You can send them a... It's like login.gov. It's almost like a a TSA pass number where they would enter that in lieu of all the rest of the information. But that's going to be the process going forward. And if, they, if the advisors fail to comply, I think they're in a situation where they promised they would comply do they tell the client about the obligation. Ultimately, no one wants to be in a situation where a business is out of compliance with this Corporate Transparency Act. It sort of defeats the purpose of trying to protect your assets And all of a sudden you're exposing you know, a lot of liability for individuals and, and their financial assets.
1: Well, it sounds like if you're a lawyer, an accountant, or elsewhere the engagement letter is that much more important you you're defining what you are doing and what you are not doing and it's a sort of strict delineation of duties around the structuring and the concepts that we're talking about here is going to be important going forward
2: yeah i would agree so you know i'm in delaware and about 10% of all the companies filed in the us are filed in delaware and their largest law firm in delaware i was talking to uh, a lawyer there who said they don't practice federal law they're not going to help with these filings People are essentially on their own or going through other advisors. And it's kind of hard to believe that this big corporate law firm basically won't touch the Corporate Transparency Act. But that's going to be, you know, they say in their engagement letters, it doesn't say we're going to help with federal law. So I think there's definitely going to be, the lawyers need to kind of think about, you know, how their engagement letters are written. They're also probably going to need to send some kind of a notice out to clients under, I think some, there's some ABA questions about that have been asked. The ethical rules about do you need to notify your clients? What if you don't notify them? They get in trouble. There's a lot of questions still remaining, whether it's for attorneys filing these or whether it's for the what goes into these reports. There's still some questions on depending on the situation. Fin said said they're going to try to provide additional guidance as things go forward. They're going to get more detailed in their guidance. I've yet to see that. They've been missing deadlines. I think eleven of eleven deadlines for different things that they had to file. So people are pessimistic. They're really asking for more information than the statute requires them to ask for, but this is the decision they made. So it's not an ideal law, but we have to kind of live with it. You've
1: probably tried to game out exactly, you know, like the man hours involved with complying with this. How much time does it take? And I know that that probably is different. If you have a single single member LLC, that's a lot different from an entity that has 10 owners and trusts involved and multiple levels and things like that. How do you think about that in terms of the the sheer manpower involved with complying?
2: It's a great question, Fraser. So even FinCEN, by their own estimates, said a single-member LLC, which is basically the simplest scenario you come up with, they estimated it would take 90 minutes to do a filing. They estimated probably about 20 minutes to read the information, 20 minutes to gather the materials, and 20 minutes to submit them or whatever, you know, 30, 30, 30, I should say, to add up to 90. So you'd say, well, 90 minutes isn't terrible. But what happens, you start getting to multiple owners and multiple control parties, and you have to get your mom's ID, and she doesn't use an iPhone. And it sometimes takes a long time to track this information down. We had an intern in our office that was trying to do test runs of our own reports for our own companies. And I mean, it took sometimes weeks to just gather all the information. So that's why I think it's important to be um, prepared for this. Get somebody involved who knows what they're doing, like a service company that's dedicated to these filings, and then make sure you at least know the basics of the law so you're not overlooking control parties because that's going to be a major issue because almost anyone that has uh, a senior officer of the company is going to be a control party.
1: So for clients, for people who have these entities or are thinking about starting businesses and so on, and this will start getting assimilated into the thinking and the cost and time and all that stuff. What are the best practices that should be put in place before you get in trouble so that you're not having to scramble at the end of day 28 and you've got day 30? And if it's late, then it's 500 bucks. And then if it's late a week, it's $3,500. And all of a sudden, things start piling up. What are you thinking about in terms of best practices to suggest to people so that they can hit the ground running and comply confidently and not be thrust into this two-minute drill?
2: One aspect is gathering the information to have it ready to go. And that is certainly one approach. There's a second approach, which is something we don't talk about much, and you're not going to hear from other services that are pro- helping people with these filings. And that is individuals associated with a the company as beneficial owners can actually obtain FinCEN identifiers from FinCEN. It's something brand new as next year. The advantage of that is going to be if someone's residential address changes or driver's license changes, they won't need to, the company, the reporting company won't need to reflect that update. Cause once you get a FinCEN ID, this FinCEN identifier that can be filed, and you don't need to essentially update it. So that's super convenient The downside of that is these FinCEN identifiers become essentially a life sentence where the individuals that have them, then the burden shifts to them where they have to keep their own information updated. And so that's another whole level of complication. So I don't know if that sort of squarely answers your question there, but that's sort of what came to mind. Well, I think part of it is, you know,
1: having the information in place, having the documents, the org chart, the driver's licenses, et cetera, and then some sort of time frame or tickler system for those of us who try to be organized, but maybe Salesforce isn't our best friend or that type of thing. It's scary when the penalties can be
2: severe. Well, there's one thing I was thinking about, Fraser. And we have yet to sort of commit to this. I asked Vince, and they're not answering any questions that I asked in writing and said, Send them their questions. Eventually, you'll answer them. So I'm kind of holding my breath. But under the way I read the law, if you wanted to file an update every 30 days, whether the information has changed or not, you could actually do that. And then that way, someone tries to prosecute later saying that, hey, you weren't filing updates. So I was filing updates You know, every 30 days. I was trying to do everything I could. And so there may actually be some... And that basically forces you to revisit this thing every 30 days. There's no filing fee associated with FinCEN if you go directly but there's also no way to know what your information was that was filed, or even that there was a filing. There's no public website that says, "Yeah, your company's filed," or "Yeah, no, it's not filed." So, or you just told Bob to file. It. He said he filed it. He didn't file it. You know, you might get a acceptance or rejection, but there's nothing that says, you know, that this is what was included. You know, maybe he typed the information wrong. So that is one advantage of going through a service. Hopefully, is that maybe there's a record of at least what was on file. But like I say, one approach could be to file with thirty days. The other thing I was going to mention is keeping track of who you've decided to include and who you've decided to exclude. So you may have a chief technology officer who doesn't do any hiring, firing, doesn't make technology, doesn't make financial decisions, and maybe they're not actually a control party for purposes act. But if you made that decision and they come back later and say you didn't report your chief technology officer and say, well, I have a, a record here that the reasons why I didn't report that person, and so sometimes it's good to have historical record of not only the people you filed, but the people you chose not to file. So if you're defending yourself later, you've got something contemporaneous to say, this is why I made that decision. And like I said, like you said, ticklers, it's not clear if you have like a monthly email, that goes to all the beneficial owners. Hey, has any of your information changed? Or try to figure out maybe text messages because people aren't reading emails. But it's going to have to be something that's you know a way to kind of stay on top of this because a lot of businesses are going to have trouble. Maybe the initial filing they might get right, but it's hard to believe they're going to update these things when they should. There's no notices going out. It's not an annual filing. It's basically it's filing only when things change. And there's some things that are really surprising about, it. like, for example, if the company's dissolved, well, that's actually not an event you have to file with FinCEN. So the company could be dissolved, and it just, just means there's no more filings because the company's been dissolved, but it doesn't, actually, it doesn't actually tell FinCEN you've been dissolved. So they still haven't figured that one out. There's something that says they have to get rid of your files after five years after dissolution. But once again, there's no record of your dissolution. So there's a lot of questions. But the main thing I think your point is that these business owners need to come up with their own systems to to keep track of who their control parties are, who their control parties aren't, and then keeping things updated.
1: Well, and so that gets to sort of a broader cultural issue, which is actual corporate governance most of us who've been around corporations and, you know, whether publicly traded or otherwise, they're used to quarterly meetings and keeping minutes and doing stuff like that. For a lot of small businesses in this country, they are not used to that. They are used to set up an LLC, and I put that in quotes, and that's kind of the last they think of it for 5, 10, 15 years. And, you know, maybe they're selling the company or dissolving it or doing something else, but it's completely ignored. This may be the cold bucket of water in the face that if you have an entity, you are now in the corporate governance business if you're a small business owner.
2: You know, Frazier, that's a great point, which is one reason people form LLCs. I mean, I tell you a hundred reasons why, you know, instead of a corporation, but it's because they're simpler. You know, you have an operating agreement, you set it up, you kind of, it's on autopilot and they don't have the corporate meetings that are required, you know, at least annually of shareholders and directors. And it's one person, so there's no annual reports so it's just something which is super simple and so i think sometimes people get lulled in the sense of oh i don't need to do anything it's sort of a passive asset you have um even owns a vacation home that you may not be running out all the time you're not thinking about that lc you just set it up because you're worried about someone suing you so it is something which is going to catch a lot of people off guard i mean even with corporate state tax notices to keep your company in good standing from our experience, about a quarter of people don't pay those every year. And it's not because they don't use the company. It's because they've sent them multiple notices and they just ignore it. And so there's definitely an even, I think in the Netherlands, they had a similar Corporate Transparency Act, which a lot of European countries have this and Canada has something like it. I think they said they had about a 50% compliance rate the first year when they enacted this. So, I mean, I'm kind of hoping that the U.S. has at least a 50% compliance rate, but just based on our experience with a lot of entrepreneurs... Even smart ones that went to the best schools, ones that are really experienced, been in business a long time. I mean, this is just not a language that's taught in school. People don't learn about corporate governance in school. They don't learn about it in college. They barely learn about it in law school, if at all. And so it's just something which is not part of everyone's vernacular. It's like a foreign language. And there's only so many lawyers out there. If They start asking questions. A lot of times the accountants aren't going to be able to answer the questions. They're worried about practicing law. The state of Delaware, I can guarantee you, is not going to answer any of your questions regarding Corporate Transparency Act. FinCEN will have a hotline to call, but I think they've only got maybe a few hundred people working there, and they're going to be, can't even imagine how many phone calls are going to So I wouldn't expect a lot of answers on that. So you're going to end up calling your local attorney, or you know, hopefully they're not so inundated with the rest of these, or they're, they're at least somewhat familiar with the act. It's going to be an interesting time next year. I, I say it's like a tsunami coming, or maybe like an invasion. It's going to catch a lot of people off guard. And I hope the entrepreneurs are listening to this have a heads up and tell their friends that, hey, not only should you create a list of your entities, tell your friends to create lists of their entities, start creating a plan for how you're going to comply and when you're going to comply and make this a top priority item.
1: When we get into the costs of this, we talked a little bit before that Finson said that at the simplest, it's 90 minutes. If you extrapolate that towards an hourly rate for a lawyer, that's... Let's say somewhere between a New York rate and a rural rate would be 500 an hour. So you're looking at 750 bucks just to comply and get the thing filed correctly. In addition to, you know, all the different corporate fees you have to submit to, say, Delaware, your state of choice. I mean, we're looking at now a thousand dollars a year minimum in order to comply. Is my logic sound or am I do you think there are efficiencies there slash AI can fix this or something like that?
2: Well, I can tell you that there's a lot of people working on it, so we're not an exception to that either, without sort of turning this into an infomercial. We were worried about our own company, Inc. Now, which was, you know, we've got 20,000 customers. How are they going to comply? Who are we going to refer them to? Are we going to be able to do it ourselves? And I think if you're either in or you're out, it's either all in or all out. So we decided we were going to set up a subsidiary called CTABOI.com that we refer to as CTA Boy, basically to help people with these filings they may not be able to help the most complex cases it's you know obviously if you've got a a wealthy person a lot of a lot of assets a lot of interests a lot of owners and that's definitely going to be you know high touch in terms of needing counsel to advise them for the small entrepreneurs they may be able to do it through more of a i would say the robo thing and there may be something in the middle between these advisors and the robo thing but i think you're absolutely right on the costs you know initially i think they were anticipating 100 or 200 dollars per filing it's hard to say maybe that's where it'll fall out but I think there's I would say a budget of a thousand a year should be enough for most businesses. I mean, I look at it and say, you know the different components.
1: you need a person. you need technological infrastructure. You probably need liability insurance in case something goes wrong. You know for the people like you say who are who walk into this half-heartedly, it to me sounds like an expensive and dangerous hobby,
2: yeah. So if you're an accountant, we see this sometimes where they want to be a registered agent and maybe they have a hundred companies or a thousand companies, even. And you have to create you know, standardized letters, standardized notice, standard operating procedures. There's definitely a lot of standardized operating procedures associated with CTA and it's brand new. What I would say is if you're going to get into it, the real bonanzas in year one, when 30 million businesses need to comply. In year two, it's only the new businesses that will comply plus updates. So they're anticipating a huge wave the first year and then a, basically a smaller wave going forward. So maybe 35 million filings the first year and maybe only six or seven million filings each subsequent year. But it's certainly something, if you get into it, you need to do your homework. Honestly, it's probably better to get into it now than it was six months ago, because at least now you've got answers to some questions, whereas you were really poking in the dark back then. So we've been having weekly meetings, getting ready for this, You know, trying to go to all the conferences, talk to all the people, read up on everything. Uh, we're trying to educate the public about this as well as our customers through like a sort of a education plan notices and so on. But that's all part of if you're going to be in the business, I think you have to uh, know what you're doing.
1: To me, it sounds like something where you have to decide early on whether this is going to be a profit center in which you have to build in some margin in order to make it work, or whether this is an accommodation to do other things. And that's going to dictate a lot of different areas, including staffing and insurance and sort of appropriateness and which clients do you use this for and not use it for, and then making sure you document that stringently so that you're not brought up on something later on.
2: Yeah, I think a, a strong paper trail with a lot of disclaimers where appropriate, terms of use that are appropriate. It's sort of interesting because we've been involved in the incorporation service, which is what I call a very mature, sort of very competitive market. So there's a lot of players and it's been around 100 years. It's a market that's pretty well established, not a lot of pricing power that you have necessarily. And so you kind of have to kind of price things at what the market dictates. What's interesting about this new service, if you will, is it's so new and there's the, the penalties are so severe that I think people are going to be willing to, you know, they don't necessarily want to go to Walmart, you know, to get their tires changed if the tires are going to blow up as soon as they drive out of the parking lot. So they're going to basically maybe want to go someplace where they're a little more confident in what they're getting. Maybe there's a professionals backing it, like attorneys, or maybe there's some other degree of confidence that goes beyond you know, just going to the gas station, filling up your gas tank. There's definitely going to be a need for advisors that know what they're doing. I would suggest we desperately need, it's like, it's like drafting people into an army. We're going to need an army of advisors who are basically willing to help with this service. And it's not like there's going to be a competitive environment. I think it's, there's going to be so much business, we're not going to know what to do with it all. It's one of these things where there's plenty of fish in the pond it's sort of, to some extent, we're kind of helping each other. Like there was one service, I won't name names, where we were testing them out. And I noticed that they had a, basically an error in their data where you could access other people's data. We pointed this out to them and they patched it. But it's one of these things where all these technologies are so new. I think you're also worried that there's going to be data taken in terms of, you know, whether it's from your own sources or elsewhere, through hackers or not bad actors. And so I think everyone gets into this needs to be really careful about containing the data, the security, and the privacy. And related to that, I think one thing I haven't said is, what is FinCEN doing with this information? So it's really there for law enforcement. Banks opening accounts are also allowed to access this for kind of get over the know-your-customer hurdles. But otherwise, it's not generally available. There's some question whether it can be subpoenaed, which it probably could be, and there's some other questions about it. But, But in general, it's not like a public database where you can see who's behind every company. So I think unless the federal government gets hacked or something... Which you know you see WikiLeaks and stuff like that all the time, so it's to say that not going to happen. But
1: the law says that they're not supposed to share the information. But I would assume that the IRS and Department of Justice and places like that. I think you have to assume that if you are submitting this to FinCEN, this is an open book, no matter what the law says.
2: I would assume that the IRS and the FBI are basically going to create what I would just call a web of information where. Even with the licenses, they're going to get biometric information because they have your face on it. So they're going to be able to tie that into security cameras. I mean, they're going to be able to tie you into every company you're associated with and then track that in financial transactions. And they're looking not only for money laundering, but just tax evasion. So I have a feeling there's going to be a lot more scrutiny of certain people as a result of this. And I think that's why the penalties are so high is that they want to get you either for not complying, like the old Al Capone example of tax evasion sort of what brought him down, and they even have another sort of penalty, which I didn't mention, is if there's other financial crimes tied into the failure to comply or not complying correctly, then instead of being $500 a day and 10, or two years in jail, it could actually go up to 10 years in jail plus $250,000. So there's definitely other things which are a little intimidating with regard to how this act was put together.
1: Well, that $250,000 in 10 years part, that's new to me, which... And that's a big deal because if there is a financial crime, it's very likely associated with something being wrong or not truthfully submitted to FinCEN on that front. So I think you're probably you get thrown in that wheelbarrow whether you want to do or not.
2: And that's I hate to say this, but there may be a new business, a new industry and in white collar crimes related to Corporate Transparency Act and defending people with these reports too. no one wants to get brought up on charges of failing to comply with the Corporate Transparency Act. But I think to the extent if you have to defend yourself, like I say, if you have a record of what you filed and the decisions you made and trying to be diligent, I would, if I was doing criminal white collar criminal defense, that would be, you know, ideal. So, you know, just like I say, just be, treat, take it seriously, ask your advisors for help or find someone that knows what they're doing to help you.
1: We've got a few minutes left here. One question I have is, you know, we've only got a couple months before this thing really comes online. And is there a possibility they push this back? Have you talked to Fincent about that? Are they pretty steadfast about keeping that date and getting people going? Or when people discover on Christmas Eve that, oh, my God, I've got this huge project in 2024 that all of a sudden political pressure causes the pause button to get hit.
2: So there have been some chinks in the armor. So one is for companies formed next year, which is after 2024 and on. Normally, they have 30 days to comply. If you get everything within the 30 days, or else you're like toast. But they basically are having a, a rulemaking process to basically try to extend it to 90 days, which which should go through. So that's a little bit of a relief, I think, as far as pushing the whole thing out. That under the way the law was written, they actually would have a whole another year. if FinCEN wanted to give them not until December. 31st, 2024, but until December 21st, 2025. There's been no suggestion that they're budging on that yet. Although there's a the question if the government got shut down and they couldn't get the thing done in time, you know, they could extend it. Or during next year, if they get a healthcare crisis going where all of a sudden the whole system blows up and they need more time and no one's complying. And I can't only imagine what problems are gonna run into. But that would be like a pressure release valve where in the middle of next year they might decide to give you another year to comply. I would say. If there's a decision to be made, over compliance is the answer rather than under compliance. So you want to sort of anticipate an act based on the current regulations rather than what we think might be sort of the prognostication of sort of Congress watching or regulation watching. Like I said, for next year, plan on 30 days, unless this thing gets, you know, if you're form a former company next year, file it within 30 days. Or if you've got an existing company, file it any time next year, but try not to wait till the end of the year. There is a possibility that could get pushed out.
1: Let's conclude with a couple sort of summarizing thoughts here. For business owners out there, what are the two or three big takeaways that they should take away from this discussion?
2: Where we tell people to start is first create a list of entities you're connected with. Sometimes this could even be nonprofit boards you're on. You may be a board of directors. You say, oh, it's a nonprofit. But if it hasn't gone through the 501c3 approval process, it may still need to be disclosed. The biggest exemption I haven't talked about is what I would call the three-pronged test of does the company have more than five million in revenue from the previous tax year? Does it have 20 full-time US employees? Does it have a US-based office? If it has all three of those, which I think Jim Richards calls tall, dark, and handsome, then it's exempt. And so there are very few other exemptions. CPA firms are exempt, some financial regulated firms are exempt, government agencies are exempt. But generally speaking, like I say, 99% of the businesses will have to comply. And so just create a list of entities to start with, and then, then start gathering the information. So if it's driver's licenses, it's usually the hardest information to gather. Once you get the driver's license, you usually get the home address and the birth date. And if the home address doesn't match the driver's license, that's not a problem. They don't have to verify this information. It's whatever's on the driver's license now, as long as it's a legal driver's license that hasn't expired. So just gather that information and then try to create a plan in terms of if you're going to do it yourself, or through going through Fintan's website, or you're gonna have somebody that assists you with another service provider and study up on what I call the control parties. Somebody might not be a 25% owner, but they're a control party. And then, lastly, if you get into the complex situations like trusts, the trustee may be considered a control party. If there's children involved, you have to list their parents. There's just, you need to keep track of their birthdays. But it's just a lot of sort of, you have to create a plan in an organization and find somebody in your office, hopefully, who's very organized. And it basically creates written lists and discusses this among everyone who's responsible. Essentially, all the vice presidents should be aware of this. And probably your attorney doesn't even know about this. You want to talk to your attorney and you should tell your attorney, hey, I'm concerned about this. What are you going to do to help me? Or your accountant. A lot of times the accountants get involved in taxes and there may be entities that accountants aren't even filed taxes for. It's a disregarded entity. It's a single member LLC, but you still have to file and it has zero income with the IRS unless it's got no assets it owns and hasn't done any business, $1,000 in and out. The last 12 months. So that's kind of the long and the short of it. We're still waiting on some more answers. I you know it's kind of a lot to take in, but uh, I wanted to try to help your listeners understand this act and try to provide information as accurately as possible.
1: Well, this is really helpful stuff. It's a big deal. I've been banging the drum on it for months now. And some people are thinking about it. Some people, they just aren't grasping it or don't want to grasp it. And it's got to be taken seriously. To that end, John, how do we find you? How do people find your firm? How do they find Inc. Now? And what do you call your subsidiary that deals with this?
2: Yeah, so the law firm we have, which will maybe be some more of a premium product, if somebody needs us to actually look at their corporate documents to provide some guidance, that's trustwilliams.com, T-R-U-S-T, williams.com, Delaware law firm started 50 years ago my father first tax lawyer in Delaware, and then uh, he's still working at 88, God bless him. And the Inc. Now is really a business formation service. So that's not doing the FinCEN filings directly, these BOI reports, but we created essentially another affiliated company, which is CTABOI.com. You make sure it's .com. We've seen some other actors sort of try to mimic other websites. So make sure you use the .com, CTABOI as in CTA boy. So that's one way, you know, we're we're trying to kind of get ready for this. So good luck with it.
1: John, thank you for being on. This is really helpful.
2: Thank you, Fraser. And, you know, I wish we need more people like you in this world. So, Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for being on. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Wealth Actually, hosted by Fraser Rice, author of the book Wealth Actually and a leading private wealth manager. Head on over to wealthactually.com where you can subscribe to this podcast, get your own copy of the Wealth Actually book, and connect with Fraser directly. We'll see you next time on Wealth Actually. Fraser Rice is an employee of Next Capital Management LLC. This podcast is not investment, legal, or tax advice, nor does it reflect the opinions of Next Capital Management. Any opinions represented in the show are Fraser's individually and not an endorsement of
2: the guests.